Father, we are here uh, for you and want to hear from you, and so pray that uh, wherever the nature of the Lord is spoken of, there you are present. So we pray that that would be true. We pray that um, where your word is explained, your voice would be heard, because that's what we're craving, Father. More than anything, what we need is to hear from you. So help us to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been thinking a lot of that about this moment in the Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know that Indiana Jones movie from whenever? I've been thinking about that moment when the Nazis get the Ark and that Nazi guy is wearing the, it, here's your Bible word, the ephod, this plate on his chest. He's got the hat and he's kind of saying these words over the Ark of the Covenant and Indiana Jones and his friend are tied up and he yells, "Look! close your eyes, look away. And just at that moment, some sort of spirit or force bursts out of the Ark of the Covenant and swirls around and in really great 1970s, 1980s, like graphic, uh, everybody suddenly turns to clay and like melts. Do you know what I'm talking about? The eyeballs pop out of their head and Indiana Jones and the chick are fine because they, they, they close their eyes. I've been thinking about how that terrified me as a child and how that scarred me. Even though my dad said, don't look, what did I do? I, I looked. But I've also been thinking about how that has almost become an image for me of how some of us are experiencing prayer. Because we have this God who is big and powerful, awesome, mighty, holy, absolutely different from us, totally other. In Isaiah 6, the prophet Isaiah is carried into heaven and he sees the Lord and his, and, and, and on the throne and his robe fills the space and there's these heavenly creatures flying around him, covering their face, covering their feet, and they're yelling, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Moses asked to see God's face in Exodus 33, and the Lord says, you can't see my face. I will pass by you. I'll let you see my back, but I can't let you see my face because no one can look on me and live. This holiness, this awesomeness, this totally otherness, I think has infected our prayer life such that some would even say that we're living in the wrong testament when we pray as Christians, that we approach God in this fear and worry that we such that when Kyle says we can have friendship with God, that hits our ears strangely. And yet what we find in the gospel of Jesus is, yes, a God who is holy and mighty and powerful and entirely other, but we find that holiness and that might bent toward restoring our friendship with God, not just friendship, but a father-child, a father-daughter, a father-son relationship with us in the gospel. So that Paul says uh, in Romans, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you've received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. Abba is an Aramaic word that means Papa or Daddy. That the gospel has seen, in the gospel, God has leveraged his holiness and his power to restore relationship between us. Not just any relationship, a father-daughter, father-son connection, even a friendship, such that Jesus says, I no longer call you servants. I call you my friends because I've told you everything that the Father has told me. You and I are invited into a friendship with God. The God of the universe wants a friendship with you. And the gospel of Jesus gives us permission to go to God courageously. In fact, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says, let us with confidence 
draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. Let us with, then with confidence, the text says, draw near. Let us boldly go into the throne room of God. The gospel has given you permission not to cower before God like a dog with its tail between its legs, but to burst into the throne room of God, to bust into his office, and without a bow or a curtsy, without a kneeling, a kissing of the ring, without a your majesty this or your majesty that, just to lay hold of God and to enter into relationship with him. That's what the gospel has done in us. The gospel has opened to us a relationship with God where we just go running in at any time. But for us, that's an obstacle that we face in prayer is how do I live in this tension? How do I live in this tension of God's holiness and otherness and his friendship? And too many of us live in the wrong testament. We kind of cower in fear. Uh, In the Old Testament, if you approached God the wrong way, you'd be struck dead. And so now we wonder, if I go the wrong way, what's going to happen to me? (laughs) But in the gospel of Jesus, that we've not only just received permission, we've received encouragement and blessing. Let us draw near to the throne of God. So let's say we manage to navigate the obstacle in prayer of, all right, Kyle, I'm going to start going to God. Well, we immediately have our Ricky Bobby moment, right? Our hands are here, we're in the camera, and I don't know what to do with my hands. Ricky Bobby says, I don't, we get into prayer, and all of a sudden we don't know what to say, we don't know what to do. Think about it a different way. It's like having eaten a really delicious apple pie, and you want to make it, but you don't have a recipe anymore. The concrete steps, the ingredients of how to engage in a relationship with God are kind of missing. And so we falter, and we fail, and we fumble, and I've seen way too many people who belong to Jesus just kind of tap out of this part of their life and not fully lean into a relationship with Jesus, talking with God. Instead, they kind of engage in this transactional, I need this, I need this, I need this, we'll see you next time. Instead, what Jesus imitated for us in the Gospels and what he invites us into is a deep connection with God. That's where this series comes in and the quote-unquote homework comes in of giving us practices to pray. Always remembering that prayer is not so much about saying prayers or even about the practices, but about doing whatever it takes, doing whatever it takes to deepen our friendship with God and then making sure that we have time each day to do that. It's about doing whatever it takes to to deepen our friendship with God and setting aside time every day to do that thing. These prayer practices that we're going to be working through over the next few weeks, you might pick and choose pieces of each one, maybe every day, maybe in seasons, but the point is that you now have some language and vocabulary and some something to do other than you kind of get quiet before the Lord for 30 seconds and the only thing you know how to do is tell him what you need. Because scripture says your father already knows what you need. And actually in two weeks, we're gonna talk about how to pray for stuff. So, but I didn't wanna get to there too early because I want us to kind of build into this foundation of, of what does it look like just to be with God? So then we, so let's say we get through the first obstacle, which is how do I kind of manage this holiness tension? And then the second tension is, well, what do I do when I'm there? Well, now we've got some practices to be equipped with. The third, the third obstacle that we have, and it's the obstacle that scares us away the most, is what is it like to then hear from God? Because what we're assuming, right, is a friendship with God. And there's not many friendships that you have where you just talk and the other person doesn't say anything back. In fact, if you have that relationship, that person probably doesn't like you very much. 
So what does it look like then to hear back from God? What does it look like to be in this two-way street, this interaction relationship with God? You know, it's not like God has done all of this for us in working in our lives and then dropped us off at the front door and said, well, now it's all up to you. The good news is that God is already actively building into and developing a friendship with you. Even outside the realm of your knowledge, maybe it's not even super clear to you, but Jesus is actively seeking a relationship with you, is actively trying to get your attention, is actively trying to have a conversation with you. And the the writer of Psalm chapter 40 uh, puts it this way, uh, he says, in, he says, my ears you have pierced in the NIV, or thou hast given me an open ear in the RSV. But did you know that this little line in Psalm 46, it actually says this, ears thou hast dug for me. See, we worry that we won't be able to hear, with, hear God. We worry that our ears are too clogged. And in Psalm 40, chapter 6, the, the psalmist writes this poem about how God, how God is actively cleaning out your ears. But he's not just taking a little Q-tip. He's not just like blowing the sawdust out of there. No, the image, as Eugene Peterson talks about, says that the psalmist was bold to imagine God swinging a pickaxe, digging ears in our granite blockheads so that we can hear, really hear what he speaks to us. Guys, the minute you step across the line of faith, if you had ears to hear, you would hear this. You would hear, ka-chink, 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 as God takes this ka-chink pickaxe, ka-chink, to open up your ears, ears, ka-chink, thou hast, ka-chink, dug for me. See, we have to take Jesus at face value. We have to take Jesus literally. When he says this in John chapter 10, Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Jesus says in John 10, my sheep hear my voice. And what we've done, the longer we're Christians, the more we metaphoricalize that. We add a word, my sheep can hear my voice. My sheep might hear my voice. My sheep have my permission to hear my voice. But no, if we want to be people who take the Bible seriously, then we need to take people, and we want to take Jesus seriously, we have to take his words at face value. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. What I'm saying to you is that when we get ourselves into the throne room and we put ourselves into a posture of prayer, you can hear and you will hear from God. And what I'm not saying is this, and this is something that we believe, that those who hear from God are a special class of Christian citizen. That there are a handful of people that hear from God, that Art hears from God, but I don't. That Vanessa hears from God, but I don't. but, but, But that's not true. The standing invitation of Scripture is for us to hear him. Read your Bible sometime and notice how often it uses the word hear. The expectation of scripture and the expectation of, uh, for us is that we can hear God, that when we put ourselves in prayer, that we will hear him. And of course, then what are we led to? The inevitable question of how do I know that I'm hearing from God and how do I know that I just had a bad taco? How do I know when somebody said to me something that they thought was from God, how do I know that was God? How do I know even beyond what I see in my circumstances when I see signs, how do I know that I'm hearing from God in prayer? And by the way, 
God tells us that he responds to prayer by hearing more often than he does by seeing. Because what do we do? We pray about something, something happens, and we say, oh, God gave me a sign. Signs are the far minority of how God responds to his people in prayer in the Bible. By and large, he just has something to say back. So we've got to learn how to hear from God. We've got to learn how to know when he's speaking to us. And this is where we find that our greatest resource for prayer, this is where we find this skill for prayer this week, is praying through scripture. Of using this book to talk with God. There's this old hymn of the church, this song that we used to sing. Dan, can you put up the words? Because I don't, it, it says, how firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more could he say than to you he hath said? who unto the Savior for refuge have fled. What more could he say than to you he has said? See, we're, we're trying to hear from God. So we put ourselves in this posture of prayer and we, we are engaging in this relationship and sometimes the other end of the phone just feels quiet. Sometimes I drop a call on my phone and I don't know that I've dropped a call for a little while, right? So you're talking and 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 you're thinking, man, they're not like giving me like any, uh-huh, Mm-hmm. or asking a question at the point that that would have been a good point to ask a question, and you pull the phone down and it says, what, call failed? See, we're worried about that. And yet this book, Scripture, we don't have to go climbing mountains. We don't have to swim seas. We have been given a great resource of what God has already said to us to interact with him over in prayer. So last week, that contemplative practice of examine, I kind of just tossed you into the deep end, right? Hey, go sit quietly before God, rummage through your day and see what he says. What I'm trying to give us is something a little more, those of us that are more concrete in the room, something a little more concretely with which to interact with God, and it's his very own words. We don't have to go running around or throw ourselves into an ecstatic experience to go hear from God. In fact, most everything that God wants us to know about himself and what it looks like for us to live is found in this book that for many of us is kind of under our bed because our grandma gave it to us like 10 years ago and we've never done anything with it. It's dusty on a shelf, but this book, this text, Moses says, are not just empty words, but our very life. And so I want us to look at what it would look like for us to use scripture to talk with God because God has already initiated a conversation. So now we can kind of respond and engage in a back and forth with him through the word, and there's kind of two simple practices for this. One of the ways to think about praying with scripture is in this idea of inhaling and exhaling. That we use scripture in prayer to inhale. So we spend some time in the morning reading a passage of scripture, inhaling God's word. What we exhale based on that prayer, based on that text, is our prayer. We allow the words in front of us to shape our prayers. And so when we're reading a text where someone falls into a crazy kind of sin, it holds up a mirror for us to also confess our sin. When we're reading a a text about gratitude and thankfulness, it calls on us to shape our prayer and our conversation with God around thankfulness. If there's an example of somebody that does this really crazy thing for God, that is the obedient person in the right place, maybe that example leads us to say, God, help me be more like this person. Put simply, there's these questions that you can ask when you're reading scripture. Is there a sin for me to forsake? Is there any promise to claim? Is there an example for me to follow? Is there a command for me to obey? Is there anything to be thankful for today? 
So think about if we were doing, uh, if we were doing, Dan, could you go back to Hebrews 4.16 a little earlier? So we read one morning, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. We're about to get interactive, so wake up, not nudge the person next to you. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and help and find grace to help in time of need. Is there a sin for me to forsake? Ponder that. Is there a promise for me to claim? What promise is in this text? My wife's not allowed to answer. Nor is Vanessa. Staff is not allowed to answer. What is the promise? Ah, yes. How do I receive it? What's it say? Just stick with the verse. It's easier. You don't have to come up with the answers on the page in front of you all the time. Ah, we, the promise is that when I draw near, I'm going to receive mercy and grace. God, I'm so th- man, that's such a great promise for me to live into today. That Okay. Is there an example for me to follow? Is there an example? For, kind of, but kind of not. Pam's doing this, yeah. Mas o menos in Spanish, yeah. The example could be, well, evidently I need to be drawn near. The sin to confess could be, I've not been drawing near, by the way. Is there something to be thankful for? Come on, people. We're getting out of our culture. Come on. And Zach already answered. What is there to be thankful for? Receiving help in time of need. God, I'm so thankful. So we read this passage and we say, Father, I am just so thankful that when I come to you, I can receive mercy and grace in time of need. I'm thankful that Jesus did that for me. God, and I, and I don't know if I believe today that I'm having trouble believing that, that mercy and grace is mine. So I just want to live into that. I want to believe your promises are true. I want to live today like mercy and grace in Psalm 23. Follow me, right? I want to know that that's here for me in my time of need. I, I want to claim this promise that I don't need to feel sheepish today about coming into your presence. I, I want to claim the promise that because there's a throne that you must be a king and kings are in control. I, I want to be thankful for that today. I want to follow this example more. I want to be drawn near to you more regularly. See, if you just write these questions down on a post-it or a note card, you stick them in your Bible. Maybe you're doing one of those plans on the Bible app. Sid Marlin, man, burns through plans on the Bible app like you would not believe. And he's every, every week, oh man, I just started this 10 day one, it's doing this, this, this. Every time you read a passage of scripture, just to like sit with it, right? What we're doing when we talk with God in scripture is we're taking God away from the whiteboard, is what Dan Henry said to me a couple weeks ago. God is away from the whiteboard now. Because what do we use scripture for? We use scripture to learn about things and understand doctrine. Some of us use scripture to show that we are right. That's not what scripture's for. Scripture is God initiating a relationship with us that we might be made more like him. Scripture is not a textbook, nor is, it a, nor is it a phone book, nor is it, well, I'm anxious, let's find a verse on anxiety, Philippians 4, man, let's read that, no. It's a, it, scripture is us getting involved in a conversation that God has been having for about mm, 7,000 years and a long time before that. Does that make sense? 
So there's another practice, and that's the really one that's on your, on your homework for tonight, and that's and, and for tonight and for this week. It's called Lectio Divina. It means spiritual reading, and it's a practice that the church has been using since about the church was the church. I mean, about 5th century, that's 400. At 400, we hear about Lectio Divina, and we can kind of reflect on that through Psalm chapter 1. So look at Psalm chapter 1 with me real fast. Let me give you this practice. Psalm one says, oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but who delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They're like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do. Show of hands, who would like to prosper in all you do? Hallelujah, right? Health and wealth, right here. I had a guy once tell me at, ch- at our church in Illinois, he was a little kooky, but he was earnest. He said, oh, I totally believe the health and wealth gospel, which you're not supposed to ever say out loud, right? And uh, he goes, I believe God wants us to be spiritually healthy and spiritually wealthy. And I'm like, oh, you, he was such a corny dad. But God says we can prosper in all that we do. Psalm 1 says we can prosper in all that we do. How do we do that? We do not follow or stand with or join in with those whose hearts are against the Lord. Did you notice that? It said, do not follow the advice of the wicked, nor stand in the way of sinners, nor join in with mockers. Right? There's a procession there, right? First, you start listening to their advice, and you kind of like them, so you hang out with them a little bit, but they're doing this thing. You're not participating. Slowly, you start participating. What that means is you got to stop listening to people who give you advice that is not biblical, and Oprah is not biblical advice. Oprah is not a Christian. I'm sorry to tell you that, but she's not. She talks about God all the time, but anybody can talk about God. Talk about Jesus, and she gets jumpy, right? We're not talking about spiritual. You don't need spiritual advice. You need scripture. You need the Lord. So how do we become that tree? Well, we become that tree by meditating on the law of the Lord day and night, by delighting in it. I looked up the word delight in Hebrew. Do you want to know what the word delight means? It means delight, right? It doesn't mean I tolerate scripture at intervals in my life. It doesn't mean I occasionally bump into it on accident whenever I want. My, my, my dad used to tell me growing up that I didn't eat vegetables. I had random encounters with vegetables, right? We can't have random encounters with scripture. Do you see what I'm saying? We gotta, we gotta be in it. We gotta delight. Then it says, delighting on the Lord day and night. I looked up day and night because I'm thinking surely it just means five minutes a day is good. Nope, it means all day, day and night. Merism, opposites to denote totality, English teachers. They delight in the law of the Lord day and night and they meditate on it. And when you think of the word meditate, what do you think of? You think of somebody crossing their legs and their hands are like this, um, right? That is not the meditation that scripture is talking about. The word used for meditate here in Psalm 1 is used in Isaiah 31, and it's used in this way. In Isaiah 31, verse 4, as a lion or young lion growls over his prey. As a lion or a young lion meditates over his prey. So we picture this. But what really we're picturing is a dog chewing a bone. That is not a quiet practice. 
right? There's crunching and growling and slurping and licking. And that, my friends, is what this book is for. It is for slurping and eating and licking and savoring. We digest God's word in Lectio Divina like you place like a lozenge on your tongue and let it dissolve slowly. See, a lot of us were bad readers. So we, we, we go, we read Psalm 1, that took 30 seconds. Next thing, I've had my spiritual vitamin. Whoa, buddy, you gotta slow down the action on the play, right? Listen, when I go to Texas Roadhouse, I get that steak. I eat fast, but whoa, do I slow down then? You know what I'm talking about? And there might be some slurping and some chewing. And if you eat out, ever eat out with me, like I talk about, I'm like, oh, no. Do you know what I mean? Like I, there's, there's verbal engagement with my food. And uh, my wife knows, like anybody who's out, I'm like, no, no, that's what we're talking about, right? Slow down the action of the place, savor the words, eat them quietly and, and slowly. And so in Lexio, here's what you do. You, you take a passage, there's some listed on the handout, usually a gospel or a psalm, and you read it once. And by the way, you read it out loud. We did not start reading in our heads until about the 16th or 17th century, when we read, up until that history, we read out loud. So you take a past scripture, you read it out loud once. Then you read it out loud a little more slowly. And as you're reading, you're paying attention for a word or phrase that grabs you. So you're reading Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down beside green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me along paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You're reading, and there's something about that line. He leads me along paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You grab onto that. You read the text a third time, paying attention especially. He leads me along paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And then you want to do, you're not doing a mantra, but you want to play with the words. He leads me beside, he leads me along paths of righteousness for my name's sake. He leads me along paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He leads me along paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He leads me along paths of righteousness for his name's sake. A little different there, right? You want to take that phrase, you want to use your sanctified imagination and you want to enter into the text. So you're reading the, the parable, you're reading the story where Jesus feeds the 5,000. And so, I mean, think about that. That's not 5,000 people, that's 15,000 people that are looking at Jesus and it's hot and they probably, there's probably a little bit of B.O. smell and there's just like rustling, right? When you get a crowd of 15,000 people together, it's just there's some noise. And they're by some water so you can hear the waves. Uh, and, and it's daylight and it's hot. And you feel that on the back of your head and on your hands. And you enter into that story. And you find you want to pay attention for what role you put yourself in that story. There's something sacred there. If you're reading the, par the story of feeding the 5,000, what is Jesus saying to you when you mentally imagine yourself to be the boy handing Jesus some loaves and fishes versus the disciple who doubts that Jesus can do with this. There's a difference there. What if the role you're in is you're just the hungry person? What does that say about your spirit? What does that say about your soul? So you use your sanctified imagination. You dwell on that story. You take this phrase. You take whatever word it is and you go before the Lord and you say, God, how are you trying to get my attention? You just start journaling through that. You start praying through that. Journaling is huge because it helps our thoughts not go crazy. 
and you chew on and you gnaw on and you savor the text in front of you. Instead of reading to move on or reading to understand or reading to get it done or reading for theology, you take the word and you savor it as if God was actually trying to say something to you in the text. And can I tell you something absolutely crazy? He's trying to tell you something through the text. See, we listen to scripture in third person, which means we read something and think, so-and-so really needs to know this, (laughs) right? Man, I wish my parents got this. Man, I wish my husband would live into this. Man, my wife needs to hear this. Scripture is not for you to read for somebody else. Scripture is for God to speak to you. This is something I struggle with all the time because I teach scripture all the time. So I have to really force myself into this place of when I read a verse, I will think, man, I would love to teach that sometime. And the Lord's response, the Lord's response is often something like, okay, we're talking about us right now. Like, hello, right? We need to slow down the action on the play and hear God's voice because here's the deal. God only rarely reaches out and grabs you. Like he only very rarely will like grab you by the collar. That is not the general MO. The general MO is a still, small voice. So Elijah is in the desert. Needs to hear from the Lord and a storm goes by, a a great wind. And the text says the Lord was not in the wind. So then there's an earthquake and, and, and Elijah's like in the cleft of a rock. He's in a mountain, huge earthquake. God was not in the earthquake. Fire, flame, a pillar of fire goes by. God was not in the the flame. And then there was a whisper, Elijah says, and God was in the whisper. See, God doesn't reach out and snatches. He he speaks in whispers. We have to slow down. We have to get ourselves into a posture where we're going into the throne room. We're quiet down. We're listening. We're taking this text and we're listening because we're listening for our friend to speak to us with this letter he wrote us. And we worry about, well, how will I know God's voice? And what is he saying? And I don't know. And all we need to hear is the words of this hymn over and over again. What more can he say than to you he hath said? 66 books, thousands of chapters. People have spent 2,000 years trying to figure out this book. And guess what? We've not gotten there yet. And yet, what more could he say than to you he hath said? I mean, when you are in this place of absolute desperation. What if God gets a hold of you? With the Lord as my shepherd, I have all that I need. When you're in this absolute place of anxiety, you're reading this text and it says, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. When, when you are grieving, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. When you feel alone, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. When you just feel like you don't have enough of whatever it is, my cup overflows. And all of a sudden we find this Jesus using this book, this letter that he wrote us to invite us and challenge us so that we can live into that friendship. And the whole time, very quietly at the background of all of it is the ka-chink, 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 for ears he digs for us. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would help us to hear you and meet you this week. I pray that our, our, our 
stuffy ears would be opened up so that we might hear from you. God, give us your grace as we seek you out this week so that we can have a lot of just slow pitches that we can meet with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.